Here we are now with episode number 14 of our series. You are the chosen one. So the students are starting up their classes. And there's a bit of an awkward moment between Harry and his friends and their old mate Hagrid because Harry and his friends are at the stage of school where they can choose certain classes and some of the classes they elect, they have their electives, are these sort of extension or advanced versions of the classes they've done and they've been doing this class with their friend Hagrid which is the care of magical creatures. And they're sort of talking amongst themselves, Harry, Ron and Hermione, and they're sort of wondering, oh, did anyone choose to do Hagrid's advanced class? And then they realise and work out amongst themselves that no one did. They all dropped it. So they all left Hagrid. And it's a bit of a sort of strange moment because you are they are friends with Hagrid. They do like Hagrid. I mean, Hagrid was the guy that introduced Harry to the magic world. So there's a very special bond between them. And yet the class, well, it didn't take too much of an interest to them. So that was a little strange moment, a funny moment I noticed in the book. And we also find out that someone's been doing love potions and Slughorn says that, well, it's not actually a love potion, it's actually an an infatuation or an obsession poem. Uh, Potion. (laughs) That was a funny Freudian slip. Poem. Love poem. Maybe a love poem is just an infatuation or an obsession. I should be careful what what I say, actually, because I have written some love poems and then actually another thing which I forgot which I should have mentioned right at the start is that I believe today is July 31st well actually chances are you won't be hearing this or listening to this chances are it's not actually July for 31st but there's a chance there's a good chance the release date of this episode will be July 31st looking at how we're tracking And that's significant because it's J.K. Rowling's birthday. So, happy birthday, J.K. Rowling. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope you have a beautiful day. And thank you so much for your wonderful story, Harry Potter. And actually, I believe Harry Potter has his birthday on the same day. The fictional character. There's, There's the birthday that the fictional character has which I think is the same as J.K. Rowling, 31st of July. But then there's the day that Harry Potter was born, was born from J.K. Rowling. And I don't know if they're the same. I don't know if she she started writing Harry Potter on her birthday. That might be a bit of... Anyway, all, all this is trivia. All of this is trivia. This is just, let's move on. Let's get into the serious stuff. <laughs> Well, that that's not going to be much of a good setup if we do have some serious stuff. Well, we actually do have some serious stuff to get through, so 
<laughs> anyway, trivia is fun. There's nothing wrong with a bit of trivia. I wonder how old she is. She's probably 50. I think she's 54, 55, 56. When I looked it up, I think it said she was 54, but maybe that was before, and now she's turned. Anyway, doesn't matter. I wonder how old Harry Potter is. He was born in, what, 96? He's probably in his late 20s. Math was never my good, my strong point. I can't work this sort of thing out. I'll just leave it to the those that are playing trivia, Harry Potter trivia board games. Does that exist? It probably does. We had this game called Trivial Pursuit, which was sort of an adult's board game. And when I was a kid, I was never smart enough to play it. But my older sister would play it. And she'd always win by like like a whopping amount. Because every every time a question came up, you know, me and the other kids would be like, I have no idea what that is. I've never heard of it. And then mum would sort of, she'd sort of get about half of them. She'd be okay with it. And then my sister would get Every single one. And she'd just smash out the game. I guess the Harry Potter version of that would be... Like you can be a character and you move around the board. But to move your piece around the the board game, you'd have to answer Harry Potter questions. And one of them could be, how old is Harry Potter now? Or how, how, how old is Harry Potter in the year 2020... If he was born, or, or what, what birthday is Harry Potter? What is Harry Potter's birthday? And what year was Harry Potter born? And if you answer correct, move forward three spaces. I'm sure there's some sort of game like that out there. I mean, they have all sorts of games within the Harry Potter franchise. Okay, let's get to work. So we're in the the business end of... The Half-Blood Prince. And we were speaking about Malfoy last episode as he is the chosen one. He's chosen by the Dark Lord. And we also, we also did a bit of a talk on Snape. We went into this character Snape and we f- figured out that he's quite complex. He's quite deep. There's a lot of different sides to him. And we also had some funny scenes that we went through, like the Prime Minister being spoken to by a magic painting. That was quite fun. So the students are starting off their classes, and how it goes in the movie is Harry and Ron are late to their first potions class. And the teacher says, no problem, get, a, get, a, get the new book out of the cupboard. And it's very funny how this is done in the movie because they open up the the cupboard and on one side is this spanking brand new beautiful textbook and on the other side is this dusty old beaten up thing with cobwebs on it. And they both struggle and they fight and they have a bit of a fist too, Harry and his friend, Harry and Ron, to get the new one and then, well, Ron gets it. So Harry's like, oh, damn, I got the old one. But as term goes on, as classes happen more and more, 
It turns out that Harry's actually doing very well in this potions class. And they figure out it's because of this book. This book that he's got. And this book has notes written in the column, written in the margins, written in something else. And they're sort of instructions or improvements on the instructions. And there's even some other notes. There are other things that Harry finds in there. He becomes a bit obsessed with it. And he's quite, well, of course, he's quite happy to be top of the potions class. And then there's, there's, there's also a bit of a dark side to it. There's a bit of a sneakiness to it. And there's something creeping up in Harry. And when he's talking to his friends, well, they sort of say that you remember what happened last time. A book became intimate with a person or a person became intimate with a book obsessively. And that was in the Chamber of Secrets. That was Tom Riddle's diary. And there was a dark magic actually working its way through the person that was reading that book and writing in that book. And the other thing I'll remind you again of is always be extra careful, pay extra attention when an author writes about a book, when an author uses the prop of a book. Because they're trying to make a statement there. They're trying to say something there because you realize that we are, well, us old-fashioned, maybe you listen to the audio book, but us old-fashioned folk, most people, I think, were actually holding a physical book and then reading the Harry Potter book. So you're reading about a book in a book. And that's something important to pay attention to. So what's the statement? Well, I've read a, a number of... <laughs> Quite a large number of second-hand books. Well, I don't know about a large number. I don't mean to brag. But, I mean, a lot of my books that I've read, I've <laughs> here's one way to spread it with a, with a false sense of modesty. I, I've read a lot of second-hand books because I'm so cheap that I had to buy second-hand books. Like, I've spent time in the bookstalls and the book fairs and book fates and just getting, you know, just $1, $2 sort of things because I wanted to read a lot, but I never had much money for that sort of thing. So I ended up reading secondhand books a lot and they fall apart or they may have Mrs. Pages missing, not Pisses Maging or Pisses Mrs. Faging, Pages missing. And sometimes I love this when it, when this happens. It's great when it happens. I would get one and someone's written all through it. They've written notes. And I remember this one in particular where it was really passionate and there were things underlined and there were things sort of crossed out and there were these big notes in the margins and some of them were really scathing. Some of them were and some of them were like, wow, good point, and like this, and the and the reader, and I thought wow, I'm reading through this book and then reading these pencil notes and and it sounded like, it felt like the person making these notes wasn't getting the book. They weren't understanding it. They weren't improving on it. They were arguing with it. They were actually fighting with this book. <laughs> and then halfway through, I'm reading it and halfway through, the notes stopped. <laughs> so I had this this experience of reading the book 
and then having my own ideas about it and then getting some some hints of what this other person had thought about it and then seeing you know these three things it was like this dance between these three things coming together and i was thinking oh are they going to get it are they going to not what are they going to say are they going to come around are they going to start agreeing or not do i agree or do i think not what can i say about their notes and what can i say about the original text and then all of a sudden boom <laughs> they stopped reading it And in the case of Harry, with this potions book, well, it's not quite like that because he's actually got notes by someone who's very intelligent, someone who's gone beyond what is in the textbook. And the movie portrays this very well because all the students, they're using their knife to, to cut this sort of bean thing. And the instructions say, cut this bean and they cut it and it shoots away or bounces off or falls out or they're all just struggling. And in Harry's book, it's crossed out, cut it, and, writ- and written crush. And so he, he crushes it and then squeezes the juice out. That's how he gets the juice out. And Hermione is there and she's saying, well, we must follow the book because she's all very book smart, isn't she? She's always about the books. She says, you have to follow the book. And Harry's like, no, that's not how it's done. So the statement, let's make the statement explicit. It's possible to read a book and get more out of it than what the author intended. That's the statement J.K. Rowling is making. It's possible to know more than an author if you infer the correct things, if you infer the correct principles from it. And generally speaking, when we talk about knowledge, well, it's a struggle. It's a, how should we say, there's an an ever-ending push or a struggle or a fight or a, longing for knowledge to convey something. Words in a book is trying very hard to convey something. It's putting all its energy into this one thing of, well, there's some information that you need to know. And I'm stuck in this medium of words. It has to go through words for you to get that information or knowledge or experience or magic potion recipe. And that that actually is the case for most knowledge. For most knowledge, it's not very clear. It takes a work. It takes a grinding. It takes a... There's something like... Comprehension is the uphill battle. Understanding is the uphill battle. The, the, the magic switch of gaining the knowledge that a book gives is, generally speaking, an uphill battle. And yet, in this case, where Harry's got his textbook, it appears that someone's, against all odds, been able to actually do the opposite, which is go one step ahead and improve. And it wouldn't have been that 
whoever this was that was writing this, these notes, was simply already smart, more smart than this person, or already had more knowledge. It was that they were feeding off the knowledge in the notebook. And chances are, well, well, it was someone who understood principles of learning. They had a very strong meta-learning skill. So they were good at learning, not just that they had they had learnt how to learn, learnt how to learn, rather than just learnt a subject well. And we find out who it is. We find out the person that's writing these notes as it's the half blood prince. And furthermore, we find out, of course, that the Half-Blood Prince is Snape, the Potions Master. And it fits because he's a, a highly accomplished, he's a very intelligent wizard. He's one of the most intelligent in, many, in multiple ways. So Dumbledore and... Harry begin a one-on-one relationship or a one-on-one lessons, classes, and Dumbledore keeps taking him to the pensive to see memories that he's collected about Voldemort. And some information comes out like and in this in this process, in this relationship, where for example, Voldemort's mother was desperate during the pregnancy and there was a sort of opposite opposite coin flip to his birth, which was that someone had come to kill her, but she hadn't protected herself. She actually wanted to die, which is the opposite of what happened with Harry, which is someone came to kill his mother but she didn't want to die, she actually protected. So there's an energy, there's an energetic there, energetic picture there. And we can probably say a lot about, well, well, there's a lot, there's a whole, there's a whole literature on pregnancy and the how the circumstances play into how things turn out for a child, for a newborn. And, well, that's part of this plot, and it's written in this way to illustrate the the depth of the characters and also the connection of the characters. And Dumbledore goes with Harry into this memory of when Dumbledore first met Voldemort, child Voldemort. And Voldemort, well, he's got this he's got this thing of saying, tell the truth. Like he's a really harsh, hard speaker. And he says, tell the truth like this. And it sort of shows, well, it does show just how upside down evil is. 
Because usually when we talk about truth, or how we should talk about truth, is as something noble. Being a seeker of truth is considered a good thing, I hope. Being a speaker of truth. Being open to truth. So truth is normally a higher value. It's a virtue. And yet here we see it in this child who's using it in a violent way. And it might be, well, actually Voldemort does have a sense of truth, but it's corrupted by power. And that really gets us to questioning, well, what is truth? What is the use of truth? How, can, how, how is truth being used for evil means by evil persons? And that is a big question. Ooh, that's a that's a sticky can of worms, that one. He also, in the same vein, keeps saying, prove it. Voldemort says, prove it, like this. Like you want proof. Like proof should be a good thing. We should have rational arguments. We should have scientific arguments. As much as I as much as I bag on the rationalists, I mean I'm always <laughs> You might be sitting there thinking, Dosta, you've changed your tune. Do you like the rationalists now? <laughs> well, the rationalist proof is just one form of proof. Let me just say that. <laughs> and Dumbledore says, well, this child shows values of cruelty, secrecy, and domination. And these are deep values which are quite dark. And when coupled with talent, with real skill, which without a doubt Voldemort has, well then you get something very evil. And then there's another memory where... Voldemort is actually asking Dumbledore for a job. But it doesn't work out, and Dumbledore says to him, Greatness inspires envy, engenders spite, spite spawns lies. And Dumbledore also has this thing, well, he, he refuses to call Lord Voldemort actually by that name. He calls him by his original name which is Tom Riddle. And it's sort of this ongoing thing. I mean, it, I mean, it's a thing throughout the whole narrative, which is, oh, don't say his name, he who must not be named. And it's seen as a sort of... Well, well, the dynamics, it's, it's one of the threads that illustrates the dynamics between the characters. That's probably enough that we need to say on that. And Harry, well, he keeps making friends with Slughorn because he needs a particular memory, which he does get. And then he shows it to Dumbledore, or they watch it together, and they find out that Dumbledore's... Uh, sorry, Tom Riddle is planning a certain kind of dark magic, which is splitting his soul, splitting his soul into different parts so that he can become immortal. 
and these are known as the Horcruxes. And Dumbledore sort of has this moment where he had an idea, well, he thought that he could get inside this man's mind and his plans and see what's going on, and he suspected that this sort of thing was afoot, but he didn't suspect to what extent. And that was the thing that shocked him. So Dumbledore knew that he was after Horcruxes and that Tom Riddle had done something like that, some sort of dark magic like that, but he didn't know how many. And it turns out there are seven. Just like there are seven books. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's an important correlation. But there, there is something in the number seven, but... Theologically, the number seven's always meant something, but I don't think that's really meant to be implied here. And then in Harry's social life, there's this sort of funny moment where Ron gets a bit, a bit up in his antes about the girls. I mean, he's had a bit of a, he's had a bit of a rough patch, uh, Ron, with the girls. And with the, the taking the wrong love potion, and Ron's sort of like, well, Harry got with Cho, and Herm, Hermione got with Crumb, and then Harry's uh, sorry, then Ron's sister comes along, and she's got a boyfriend, and she sort of says someone like, oh, you're just you're just jealous because your friends have got someone, but you haven't, and I, and your little sister's got more experience than you, your twelve year old sister's got more experienced than you and Ron gets a little bit down he sort of gets a bit uh, from this you know it touches a nerve which then affects well his Quidditch game because now Ron's part of the Quidditch team and there's this big game coming up and Harry does this trick where he pretends to put the liquid luck the magic lucky charm into Ron's drink we find out later that this is a complete placebo. Ron didn't actually take the liquid luck. He just thought that he did and then became all puffed up and thought, yeah, I can do it. And that sort of led to him, well, he won the Quidditch game and then he was really confident from the win that he went out and he got a girlfriend. And then very soon after that, he figured out, well, he doesn't really like her at all anyway and it wasn't a very good break up it was a bit messy in there for a second and it was it was obvious to everyone else in the story everyone else in the plot as well as us watching on in the movie cinema like why are you with this girl she's terrible she's such a ugh, this sort of thing so there's a lot of there's a lot of obvious comments there i mean the the statement from the author is not always so difficult or deep and existential to distill. So just a bit of prepping yourself up is all you really need sometimes. Another thing Harry learns from his book, from this potions book, is the spell that was used to humiliate people. And that's when he starts really asking himself, well... Should he try it? And he's thinking now, what would it be like? 
And, and I think there's somewhere where he does it and it's sort of in a playful manner. And he's sort of faced with this he's sort of faced with this question of, oh, when you learn to do evil, how do you feel about it? It's one thing to say to someone, what you're doing is evil. It's another thing to actually be able to do it yourself and not do it and yet still also stay. Well, the person saying that is evil is, is, someone, is someone different to someone who can do it. So we're jumping a bit back and forth. I hope you don't mind. There's a lot of there's a lot of twists in this novel. There's a lot of things being back and forth. And another thing I'll mention is the Ministry of Magic sort of turns up to Harry to sit him down and have a conversation about oh, how would you like to be our sort of poster boy? Well, how would you like to be our mascot? And Harry sort of says, you know, know what? No way. Get away from me. And that's because, well, the Ministry of Magic didn't believe Harry at first when he was telling them that Voldemort had, was back. And also he's thinking that actually there's probably a lot of corruption in the Ministry of Magic now. So he's putting a lot more of his hope in something like the Order of, his, Order of the Phoenix or his friends and so on. And that, that's an important scene in the arc of the character because in the arc of the story for this character, for our main character, because he's starting to actually see what's going on and really say no. And it's a, a few steps, a fair few steps away from him just worrying about what everyone thinks about him. What is his name being said about him? What's being said about his name in the press and so on? Now it's actually starting to emerge what he needs to do. And the importance of that is becoming more and more important, more and more dominant to him. So Harry and Dumbledore start searching for Horcruxes together. And one of them is going to this cage cave also Harry Harry and Ginny start going out but that's a, a sort of a plot, subplot to our main plot and we'll talk about that maybe later on but Dumbledore goes to this cave with Harry and they have this scene where Dumbledore has to drink the poison for them to get out the magic horcrux and it's the only way that the potion can be removed. Whenever Harry tries to just tip it out, well, it's refilled. And when he tries to turn it into something else, that doesn't work. And so on. And this is a very gruesome scene. This is a very dark scene. Because it really makes Dumbledore weak. It really makes him sick. It really makes him feel bad. He even says, you have to keep telling me to drink it even if I tell you to kill me even if I'd rather die 
and he does, and they work through it. And it's a very trying scene. It's a very tr- trying thing to have someone go through. And then in this lake, well, there's also a bunch of zombies that come out just to tap, top it off. And it's a very dazzling scene. It's a very action-based scene where Dumbledore pulls Harry out of the zombie lake and there's a fireball going all around. And it's interesting that in a short space of time, we've seen Dumbledore at his weakest and then also a few minutes later, Dumbledore at his strongest. So at one one point, he's sort of sitting on the island in the dark and he's all weak from the poison and he's all sick and he's really helpless and then a few minutes later he's got his wand out and he's circling this huge fireball all around him and he's killing hundreds of zombies at once I don't know what the actual name for them is I'm sure there's a Harry Potter name they're not actually called zombies but they just look like zombies in the movie but the the contrast there really shows that the, the character is unstable. Dumbledore is unstable. And these two things of him most weak and most strong actually come together when Harry and Dumbledore return from the cave because they come back to Hogwarts and arrive in one of the top towers to find that a whole bunch of Lord Voldemort's followers have broken in with the help of Draco Malfoy. And they've circled around where Dumbledore arrived. And Dumbledore has a quick spell on Harry to get him out of the way. And Harry is stuck under the under the floorboards in his invisibility cloak, also under oath, under promise to Hagrid, uh, not Hagrid, to Dumbledore, as he'd previously promised to Dumbledore that if he tells him to get away and hide, he will, and Dumbledore has said that. So we're in this scene where Dumbledore is facing off with all these Death Eaters, They've got him surrounded, and Draco Malfoy turns up. And his job, we all know by now, is to kill Dumbledore, and Dumbledore knows it. And he says some words to Draco, which are very powerful, because he says, No, Draco, it's my mercy and not yours that matters now. And this, this moment was the, the perfect amalgamation of Dumbledore's complete helpless vulnerability and his staggering power come together because he's so weak and yet he knows that he's orchestrating this. He's still in control. He still understands. He still knows what's going to happen. And at that moment, Snape walks in. 
And then Dumbledore says to Snape, Severus, please. And Snape kills him. And it's not for some time that we're able to see that the way things were organised between Dumbledore and Severus Snape was such that it was a mercy of Dumbledore's on Draco. And that is a magnificent power. That is a glorious power. That is, that is as powerful as standing on an island killing hundreds of zombies with a massive fireball. And yet he also did it while completely weak, while completely vulnerable. And the death of Dumbledore was news. It was big news. It was all over the place. It was just so much reaction from the fans. And there's a lot of outrage. How could you do this? You've spent all this time building up this character. You've allowed us to fall in love with this character. And he dies. And you killed him. You're responsible. You're the author. We gave you our hearts. And you're doing this with it? Why? And this has actually been done many times throughout literary history. I mean, Sherlock Holmes was another famous one. When Sherlock Holmes was killed, there was absolute outrage at the author. How could you do this? But there's a reason for it. There's a lesson. There's a statement, a very powerful, important statement. And it's all got to do with you and how you are the chosen one. This needs to be understood. And actually, I also, I also remember this very funny piece of merchandise. I think, I think my older brother had it, actually. He got this piece of merchandise, which was a, it was a T-shirt, <laughs> which said, Dumbledore, you know, Dumbledore pay, dies on page 536 or whatever it is. I just saved you four hours and $30. <laughs> it was a very funny piece of merchandise. Like, you're going to have to read through the whole thick book just to, just to learn the bit and to read, see the bit where Dumbledore dies. Oh, Dumbledore dies. And then there was a whole sense of, you know, all the comedians had fun as well. Like, oh, Dumbledore dies. So there, were a lot, there was a wide range of reactions to it. So... Of course, the diehard fans were thinking, why did you do this? How could you do this to Dumbledore? How could Dumbledore die? He can't really be dead, can he? He must not be dead. There must be some magic, something, something like that. But the reason and the lesson in the statement is, is this. At some point in your life, you realize you're alone. And in the case of the people that are more intelligent than you, 
people that have looked out for you, the people that are your mentors, or the people you look up to, or whoever, they always either die literally, or you realize that they can no longer be that thing for you. They can no longer be that wise old man figure, or even wise old woman figure, wise old person figure for you. Because Harry, well, he obviously, look what he goes into. He goes into this thought process, which is that, well, Dumbledore always had a plan. There was always something that he had going on, which would mean things would work out fine. And that has actually been the pattern of all the novels. Dumbledore, in a sense, from the background, in his own subtle way, tweaks little things here and there, which means that things do work out okay. But now that safety net has gone. Now it really is up to Harry, and Harry realizes it. Harry realizes that he is alone. And that is the message of the death of Dumbledore, that you are alone in your hero's journey. You are the chosen one. It's not you are the chosen one with your wise old man to give you advice and to save you if you get into trouble. No, it's you alone. And the chance of failure is very real. It is very real. It's even likely. It's very likely. And the wise old man, well, there's, I mean, my other, the other movies that I've seen is, well, when I think about this in The Matrix, Morpheus dies. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't die. He's sort of, that's sort of one of the plot threads is that Morpheus is captured. And he's the man who's always got the plan. And going against that is the realization of the, the chosen one, Neo. So Neo becomes the chosen one because he overcomes this thing of the wise old man, the father figure, being helpless. And in Lord of the Rings, well, the same thing happens. Gandalf dies. Gandalf the wizard dies. And at that point, Frodo realizes that it's up to him to complete the journey. And he's going to have to do it alone. And Gandalf had served as that one who always knew which way to go and how to get there and how things would work out. And he'd come to the rescue quite a few times. And in Narnia, well, Aslan dies. And that's a little bit different because there's a different statement happening there because there are a lot more biblical connotations, theological connotations in Narnia than there are in Harry Potter. But it's a, it's a similar sort of motif. I mean, we don't want to stretch the motif too far. I mean, I've only seen these three. These, these are the only three movies I've seen in my life is The Matrix, Lord of the Rings, and Narnia. <laughs> 
But now that you know the motive, you'll probably see it. And you can probably see it in many stories. Because first identify, well, who's the wise old man who fixes things from the background? And when do they die? At what point in the hero's journey? And what does that do to the hero? And what is it, what is it going to do to you? When, what, how would you feel? I mean, think of the people who, who really you can depend on. And it's not... Here, words become very slippery because you can always admire someone and there's always going to be someone more intelligent than you. And you can always put someone as the father figure or the mother figure or the, the wise old man figure or the wise old woman figure. or the, what, what, what would the woman equivalent be? I mean, it's funny that, I mean, I was thinking earlier today that it's funny that a wizard is still a positive thing. If you say, oh, you're a wizard. Oh, you're such a wizard. Thanks for doing that. It's a positive thing. But if you say you're a witch, then it's still sort of got a negative taste to it. And I'm thinking, well, what's the equivalent? Like a, a, a gypsy? I mean, gypsies can have a negative connotation to it. But when I use it, I like it. I mean, I admire gypsies. I love gypsies. If I say you look like a gypsy, I'm paying you a compliment in my in my world. And then there was another word as well. I've forgotten. But back to back to our inquiry into you. Let's get back on. <laughs> We've strayed from the path a little bit. <laughs> Again, let's get back to the inquiry into you. So at some point, when you grow up, you'll realize that the people that have given you answers in the past, which were adequate and helpful answers, can no longer do that for you. You'll realize you're alone and you have to figure it out for yourself. And in the case of Harry, it meant the death, the literal death of the character. But for you and me, more commonly, it's the realization. It's the confronting of the fact or the moment when you have someone who can no longer do those things for you. And sometimes that's not such an eloquent moment. It's not such a pretty moment. You might think, oh, I don't, agree. Oh, I don't, I don't listen to that person anymore, or I can't, I can't agree with that person anymore. It might be that it's a sort of, it leaves a sort of bitter aftertaste. So really, the the deeper wisdom would be acknowledge the people in your life who have given good advice when the time was right and acknowledge that it was right and good for that time, but it's time to move on. And it's okay for you to move on, and it's okay for you now to disagree. And it's okay for you to still respect that person. And yet you know you must go your own way. You know you must find your own path and really confront the things on your journey in your own way. 
and it really does come down to you. Like this, this is the hero's journey coming to the punchline. Like you can tell, you can tell this is where the the business end of the whole narrative is starting to come come to. Because the hero's journey turns into a solitary journey. It turns into Harry alone. And for that to happen, for him to be totally alone, he has to have lost all the support. He has to have lost all the things that have helped him along the way. And that looks very different at different points throughout the journey. And he's still got a long way to go. And then the other side of this, well, you think of think of Harry's witnessing this scene of Snape killing Dumbledore and not having the whole story at this stage. So for him, it was also this moment where Snape is definitely a bad guy. There's no way that Snape could ever come back into Harry's good books after this. And so whatever trust or slight sense of maybe I can trust this man that Harry had for Snape is now gone. And Snape being someone who actually in some ways has helped Harry, and maybe Harry was starting to come around, you know, like he's he hasn't been that bad to you. He's helped you out in some situations. He did teach you legilimency and occlumency. And there are, other, there are other few things that we haven't talked about here which are scattered throughout the plot which suggests that maybe Snape is helping Harry. But now all that's gone. So Harry really is alone. So there's no one... If we look around and we say, who's going to be, who's going to be the character that fulfills the role that Dumbledore had for Harry? Someone who's incredibly powerful, intelligent, wise much older and understands everything that's going on. Basically, there's no one. There's no one that can do it. Which just means again and again that Harry is alone. He's one. So there's another part of the plot which we didn't cover, which was this scene where Harry has this sort of back and forth with Malfoy, and they get into a bit of a fight, and Harry uses this magic spell that he's seen in this book, this potions book, it's got notes written in it by the Half-Blood Prince, and I believe it's Sectra Spentra, something like that, Sectra Semp, I'm not going to try and remember it, because I'll get it wrong. Anyway, it's got a real ring to it. It's a, it's a, it, and it's a, it's an evil spell. It's a dark magic spell, and Harry used it sort of out of, sort of out of passion in this duel, in this fight with Malfoy, and he really hurts him bad. Like he splits him open, and there's blood everywhere. It's really gory, and all of a sudden, Harry's like. Whoa, he's shocked. He didn't mean to hurt him quite so much. 
And this comes back to one of the other spells which he learnt, which was the one of how to make people dangle upside down. And it comes back to this question, or how do you feel about using evil now that you know how to do it? How does it feel to play with evil? And just at the right time, Snape walks in and saves Malfoy. And he's sort of looking at Harry. And he says to him, where did you learn such dark magic? And Harry really feels quite confused about this. And then we fast forward to the end of our plot where Snape is running away after killing Dumbledore. And Harry remembered, had seen this, and so he chases after him, and he's got the hate in him. He's got the anger. How could you kill Dumbledore? He's got all that behind him, and then he uses that evil spell on Snape. No, he uses it knowing what it had done to Malfoy. He used it knowing how dark it was. And he was just furious at Snape. And that's the moment where Snape sort of just brushes him off. And the spell does, does nothing to him. And in fact, Snape turns around and says, you would use my own spell against me. Like he, like he invented that spell. That comes back to this whole thing of the student or the, the, the stupid student and the wise teacher. And he's so much more wise. He's so much more powerful. So much more experienced that, that he's sort of just laughing. He's just putting him down. You, you're using my own spell that I invented against me. Oh, that's cute. And he's sort of having this sort of attitude towards Harry while Harry is fuming at the death of his beloved Dumbledore. So they're dramatic character interactions. And there's a funeral for Dumbledore. It's very beautiful. It's always beautiful to have funerals. Well, not always. That's a that's a pretty difficult statement. I mean there's 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 always something there, can, there always can be something beautiful about a funeral. But Harry then breaks up with Ginny. And sort of pushes her away and says, you know what, I've got some stuff on at the moment. We're not going to be able to be boyfriend and girlfriend. Even though he does really have strong feelings for her. And it's at this point, well, Harry gets a new resolve. And this is the heroic internal shift that the character has. Because he sits back and he says, well, all of my lifelines have gone all of my support has gone, and yet I'm going to step up. I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to do what I need to do. And this, this new resolve, like, do you know what this word means? This word resolve? It's sort of like determination, but not with quite so much passion. It's got quite a. It's got a bit more of the. It's more on the wisdom side. 
It's more on the mature side. So if we can say that, yeah, let's let's put it this way. Resolve is a mature determination. And that's what Harry gets. That's what's born out of his grief and his loss. And it really is a big step for Harry. It's a very powerful maturity, moment of maturity. And that's what makes him the hero. That's what makes him the the one who's going to save the day. So that's all we've got for Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. And next episode, we're going to delve into... (laughs) I almost can't even say it (laughs) without a tear coming to my eye. (laughs) We're going to delve into the last book, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. And we're going to take our time with it. And we're really going to go deep. We're going to go all the way. So stay tuned. That's coming up very soon. But for now, I invite you, before you rush off and listen to that or do whatever you're going to do, like we always do at the end of every episode, just sit quietly for a few minutes. With your eyes closed. And that's all I have to say for now. <laughs>